definitely never thought I'd ever hear that song again for a new episode of Note to Scene. Um, when Matt and I started this in the beginning of 2018, I think it was, um, or the beginning of 2017, it all sparked from a text conversation that he and at, he and I had over the summer while I was still at AP, and I think it was about Enter Shikari, if I remember right, and he, we were done, and he was just like, is it weird to say that our text conversations would make a great podcast? And I was like, not at all. I definitely didn't think that anyone would listen to us. We were assholes, and we didn't care about anything but you did and at one point we were doing more downloads per month than I ever thought that we would even get close to so first off just want to say thank you to everyone who listened to the show in its first iteration and second it's back and not only as a podcast but as a website so there's a lot of groundwork to kind of lay down and I want to get to it all but first Matt did write a letter Um, to the show because he will not be returning unfortunately but there's no beef he was a mentor to me when I started in the industry and when I started at AP and he still is to this day we talk every day from what's left of the scene to pop music to literally anything but he wrote a letter and this is what he had to say Dear listeners, when Tyler and I first put the show on hiatus, we did so because we were extremely busy with our careers and couldn't deliver the quality and timely episodes you deserved. Well, my life has gotten even busier since then, in some very good ways, actually. And while I won't be coming back to Note to Scene, I'm still so excited the show is back and I get to be a listener this time. There's no doubt in my mind this scene will continue to fall the fuck apart and egotistical frontmen will do insanely stupid shit, giving Tyler plenty to dump on. And you, plenty to laugh at. Seriously, it's gotten really bad. Guys, remember when Kellen Quinn charging too much money for Polaroids was the worst, most outrageous thing the scene ever endured? Shouts to the golden age. We didn't deserve it. Also, lock and load, and get ready for some bad music, guys. These scene bands are not going to die gracefully. But in all seriousness, your emails and messages meant the world to me. Shouts to all you listeners for inviting me into your lives. Tyler has some really exciting stuff planned for the show's future. Get hyped. Matt. P.S. To the OG listeners, that Avril Lavigne episode hasn't been forgotten, and I will harass Tyler until he completes it. Yes, that Avril Lavigne episode is absolutely happening. But shout out to Matt. He won't be back with the show. But who I do have with me is my really good friend and former editor and now roommate, Rabob. Rabob and I go way back quite a few years now, back to Alternative Press. And uh, she was my editor after Matt, which is kind of funny for me. Yeah, what's up, guys? I might not be Matt, but like Matt, I also had to try and reel in Tyler. <laughs> They both, uh, they... Not an easy job. (laughs) Not an easy job. I made both their lives hell at multiple points, but they've taught me a lot, and I'm very thankful to have both of them. We are back. Uh, We are launching Note to Scene as a website. We're going to have news, reviews, all types of industry critique, so please go click on everything you can, because we need it. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, also there's going to be a newsletter and the podcast will be weekly 
um, Rabob won't necessarily be a recurring guest, but I'm going to have some other industry figures come uh, come on the show with me. And uh, n- next week, I mean, we're already going to dive into the episode that people want most, which is ranking the top 10 biggest bands in the scene. So stay tuned for that. But for our comeback episode, and since 2019 was just the comeback of everything for emo, apparently, we figured it would be a good idea to give kind of a rundown of the biggest comeback moments of the year for emo and scene music. And there were quite a few, but obviously the biggest one was My Chemical Romance. Not all were equal, but <laughs> above all was in fact My Chemical Romance. Been cooking for a while. The And that's crazy because we have talked for literally years. And, Since I've uh, known you, we've been talking about My Chemical Romance. When will they come back? What's funny is that it, even though My Chemical Romance felt impossible, the return, it didn't feel as impossible as From First to Last and Sunny. And we got that before. I know. Well, my government somehow felt impossible, but also inevitable. Like, I never, I didn't feel like it was inevitable. I was convinced they would never come back. I, I really thought that they would. I had faith that their fans would manifest this reunion. And they, the more that they talked about how they hung out and how they got together and had barbecues or whatever, and they were all still working on music. It was like, this is eventually has to happen. When Gerard's Netflix show took off, I was like, okay, we're never going right. to get this band back. Because they, he doesn't need the money. Tyler, not everything is about vampire money. <laughs> Listen, everything is fueled by money. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Everything is fueled by money. But also egos. Also egos, correct which are bolstered by money. (laughs) He wasn't hurting for money, and as we'll talk about in a little bit, that definitely showed in his stage presence on the comeback show. But that's not to say other members of the band weren't hurting for money, specifically his brother, but... You know? We're gonna... All right, so first off, let's dive into... Let's just talk about the show. What were your first thoughts on the footage that you saw from it because unfortunately neither of us were there i did try i didn't try that hard but like i tried a little bit i was like this would be cool to do how much would you have been willing to pay i mean what's the top dollar are we talking like travel expenses as well everything i'd have probably spent like four or five hundred bucks to go see them but at the same time i was like Oh, I am. I'm, like, confident that they are going to tour. They didn't... They're still teasing shit, like, uh-huh. this is gonna happen. Uh-huh. So that... If I thought that that was my only, t- like, chance to ever see them, like, this was it, I definitely would have tried harder. But knowing that there's going to be another opportunity, I was like, this would be sick to be at the first show back, but also, like, I'm equally happy to just get any show in 2020. Mm-hmm. I was definitely on the other side of it. I was never a huge MCR fan. I mean, they were always, obviously, shouts to the goats. They led emo to heights that I don't think anyone ever thought no one would happen. No one could have. Literally nobody. They were just never it for me. So I, when the tickets came out and they were, what were they at, like, face value? Like 200 bucks or 250 That was ridiculous to me. Everyone was really me. mad about how ridiculous much they were. Ridiculous But I didn't think me. it was that expensive, to be honest. Ugh. I know we've talked about this a lot, but... 
that was. I mean, it's definitely expensive. It's more than I would typically be willing to pay for any concert ticket. Like usually, if it's over fifty dollars, I'm like, do I really need this? And if it's not, every time I die on a boat, then the answer is usually no. But for something like that, like we're not used to seeing bands of that caliber mm-hmm. in this time. So mm-hmm. like, if you go see like the Stones or you go see like. How much do you think Green Day tickets cost? Or like, but are we really even put Fall it like, Out Boy or Panic at the Disco? And they haven't been gone for years, right? Definitely, it just and felt... it's not a room that small. I know it's a sixty-three hundred cap. It just felt to me that they were coming right out of the gates and saying we want to make as much money as possible. I don't think that they have that much control over how much the tickets cost. I mean, again, they played a small venue. Think about how much extra security and shit they had to have mm-hmm. to be outside. Mm-hmm. Like, you're making... it's That's what their fans are here for, right. though. Like, you're right. making... The whole point of a, a show or concert, anyone, is to make it an experience for the fans. Uh-huh. And doing stuff like that really makes an experience where people are like... Gerard Way came and gave me a blanket. That, like, fuels them for the next, like, five years. <laughs> There if are... Gerard Way gave me a blanket, I might be okay right now. Oh my god. Gerard, if you're listening, send blankets. Send blankets. Note to scene. Please. I don't think that there are any other fans like MCR fans. No, there are. So it's cool that the band take extra steps to kind of acknowledge that. Yeah. Because I don't think a lot of others would. So I guess before we jump into their set, shout out to Thursday. Jeff Rickley is our neighbor. He is our neighbor. (laughs) I think I've manifested Jeff Rickley on multiple occasions. Now I think I have manifested Jeff Rickley on multiple occasions. Let me just take a brief interlude to tell you. Do it. I was complaining to one of my friends. She was here visiting from LA, and so she sees, like, famous, quote, famous people all the time. And I was like, you know, I don't ever see famous people in New York. I've never seen anyone. That day, I saw Jeff Rickley walking down our street and then i saw cole sprouse later that night so that was interesting but i was just talking about jeff rickley the other day walking home from work from the subway who do i see jeff rickley very clear he lives in our neighborhood hey neighbor come over for dinner some night <laughs> we'd love to talk to you for hours upon hours come be on the podcast the early 2000s so whatever you would like for dinner, let us know, please. That was hilarious. But shout out to Thursday for playing a sold out 600, 6,300 cap venue in 2019. 2019, man. I was talking with a couple friends about this. Uh, if they could think of any other show they've played that was ever that big, it might be their biggest show of all time. That- which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Is hilarious the right word? <laughs> yes, it is absolutely hilarious. I laugh so hard when I think about it. Because if you just take that snapshot of Thursday, 2019, 6,300 cap, sold out. Did you see any footage of Thursday playing the show? I watched the live stream okay. that night. So I haven't seen any. I'm Now I'm curious, what was the crowd like for Thursday? They weren't... I mean, they there were a lot of people that were completely aware yes. that Thursday existed. There were a lot that had no idea what they were. I feel like maybe the older fans... Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'd be interested to see the demographics of that show right. because there's so many... My Chemical Romance fans that are young now, like they're 12, 13, to like... 15, so they've never seen My Chem, and then a bunch of LA industry people who right. did whatever they had to do to get into the show because it looked cool. Uh, did some unsavory things for Instagram. Who the hell knows? Uh, 
But uh, no, like MCR are the Adele of emo. <laughs> I need to let that sink in because I don't know if I know what that Think is. Think about it. My little cousin, teenager, loves Adele. Right. My yes. mom, my aunt, middle age, love Adele. My grandmother loves Adele. Yes. They are the Adele of emo. And as those emo kids grow older, they're having their own kids. And even other kids that were in between, like, us and what our kids would be at have grown to be fans of MCR since they've broken up. Yeah, I mean, I went to go see Frank play a show when I was still living in Cleveland, and I would say, like, at least a third of the audience was, like, small children (laughs) that are definitely MCR kids. Like. That blows my mind. It was, like, so many. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but there were a ton of, like, young kids there. And I was just like, this is crazy. Like, Brendan is the only other emo person to be able to do that. The only other person from the scene. Fall Out Boy hasn't. They Um, have a little bit, but not near to the extent of Brendan. No. Nowhere near MCR. Yeah, when you go to a panic show, it's literally just... I You can't see anything other than, like, kids on Snapchat or whatever. I guess probably TikTok now. <laughs> but last TikTok. time I went, it was still Snapchat. <laughs> I think when we started this show, I don't even know if TikTok existed. <laughs> taking over. But it's like you... It's crazy to think. You were, like, three years old when Fever came out. <laughs> I thought you were talking to me, and I was like, I was definitely not three years no. old when Fever came out. Rabab has lived through much more of the scene than I have. Yes, we have differing opinions. That's why. That's why? That's You're why. Older. Okay. You don't um, want to respect your elders. Oh, God. I've been told that a lot. <laughs> okay, the show. When they dropped that banner, when they came on, what was the first song they opened with? I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Right chills like before i'm just sitting there like cold sweating (laughs) (laughs) literally like i was on that live stream so i was sitting at a bar i was a little drunk and i had my headphones in and it's one of my favorite bars i go to in new york nobody goes in it there's country music that just plays and it's just super super chill and i was a little drunk and i had sat there for hours just like waiting and my buddy was like are you watching are you watching and i wasn't and i was like okay i'll turn it on and just that moment when the big flag like curtain dropped and they came out I, rip I, hit. I instant chills like all over i couldn't believe it i never thought i'd get to see that it was and, a triumphant moment i mean holy shit i don't think emo has ever had another moment like that maybe when they played on the top of that building for the vmas one year you know 2006 in <laughs> 2006 as a whole was that one moment <laughs> Literally. It was so cool to see. But I want to know all of your thoughts on their performance. There was so much talk about how Gerard was going to look. Obviously, you don't want to tie it back to that. But were they going to, you know, there were a couple photos that popped up during their off time where Gerard had enjoyed some, you know, of the savory elements of life a little bit too much. But he had, uh, he lost some weight. Guys, if you could see me rolling my eyes at Tyler right now, <laughs> unbelievable. At least we can give men the fair, like, <laughs> criticism that women get constantly of, like, what they look like. You mean you want to talk about Vince Neil? Let's go. Uh, I was going to actually bring up Vince Neil. <laughs> yeah, Vince Neil, Axl Rose. Who thought he'd be on this emo podcast? No Here's funny. the thing. I think we can only expect, like, Gerard's not 
28, 30, right. in his mid-30s right. anymore. Like, it's been a long time, and personally, I think he looks great. There was, like, a little bit of trepidation of, like, it, you know, he was definitely enjoying life making comics and, right. like, not worrying about his appearance so much, mm-hmm. which love that for him. Sure. Um, he clearly did like do something like take care of himself and I think when that curtain dropped and I was like waiting for what he's gonna look like I was Mm -hmm. like damn boy you did good (laughs) that's what I thought too that's what I thought too and uh, when you think of like even Vince okay so like Vince Neal versus Axl Rose right now we'll (laughs) use those two as our examples Vince Neil just really let it go. Like, the stage energy's not there. He could barely walk, like, a few feet. Mm-hmm. Like, he sounds not good. Mm-hmm. Whereas Axl Rose, ton of energy. He, like, he doesn't look like he did, you know, 20, right. 30 years ago. Right. But he still has a ton of energy, and he s- still sounds really good. He's still sweating his ass off. And I there. think that's, like, what we want from a band that has gone from being, like, the hottest thing on the market to, like, now they're very respected elders, and they've come right. back, and, like... We don't. You can't expect them to look like. Right. I mean, the sex god symbol of Gerard Way in two thousand and five, my awakening. Oh my god! <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. Let me, let, Spiraling on note to scene. Eighteen minutes in. Let me reel it back. But I do think that you know, as long as they sound good and they're giving the energy, like that's what we want from them. Absolutely, and. They're not kids anymore, and yeah. we can't expect them to act like kids. They have kids now. <laughs> <laughs> they have children. They'll be starting bands in about five years. <laughs> <laughs> One can only hope. Could you imagine that headline? <laughs> Next wave. Could you imagine that headline? I mean, that's the hope, right? Yes. Overall, what did you think about the whole performance? Because I have some thoughts, but I want to hear yours first. Overall, for the whole performance, I, it was really difficult to see from like the streams and mm-hmm. the videos mm-hmm. just to like have a good idea of the whole energy of the room. Like when I watch a show, I like to like stand in the back so I can watch the crowd mm-hmm. and like get an idea of like how people are vibing off of mm-hmm. it. I think the one thing that stood out to me the most, you could barely hear them from any of the videos because the crowd was so loud and mm-hmm. like. Like when you were talking about the curtain dropping, you could like hear people crying. Literally, in the crowd. like there were like it wasn't just like screams of joy; it was just like screams of terror and every emotion I, I rolled into one. Couldn't tell you the last time I cried, but if I was there, like I <laughs> might have been that person that's just like weird sobbing you hear in the background. Um, oh no! So like as far as sound goes, I don't feel like I could make an mm-hmm. educated sure. comment on it because. Who knows? The crowd sounded great. Um, <laughs> the crowd did sound fantastic. <laughs> they, they were good. The, sh- uh, the shrine has some some good uh, echo features nice in it. Yeah. yeah. But I think overall, just watching it, the vibe, like, I definitely felt pretty, like, wistful of, like, I wish I was there. Mm. Like, I wanted to be there. You did. It had a really good energy that you could tell even just from videos. Yeah, definitely. What was your favorite moment besides the curtain? Do you have one? Ask me my favorite moments. I can't remember my favorite moments of shows I've been to. Like, yeah, let me pick out my favorite moment from when I show I wasn't there. This was the only show of the decade that mattered. You're right, really. <laughs> and I'm it happened gonna, at the last second. I'll go bow my head in shame somewhere. No, I don't have a favorite moment. My favorite moment, cheesy as fuck, it went viral, besides the curtain drop, was at the end, because they usually close with oh, Helena. Yeah. And then they closed with Welcome to the Black Parade, and instead of So Long and Good Night, they say We'll Carry On, 
which obviously there's more. We love a band that plays with us. Like <laughs> we love it. MCR. Give me some clues. Oh Throw me my some god! No, I'm done. I'm done with the clues. I'm fucking I'm old, 25 I'm years tired. old. I'm tired. We went through enough of this shit with fucking brand new. Just take my money and play it out. <laughs> Literally, like here it is. Give me the music. We're fine. I'm not running around trying to decipher what a moon means in like 15. That's, century BC. Tyler, you don't have to. That's what Cassie Witt is for. At Poison and Fire. At Poison and Fire. If Go you, follow her right now. Anything you need MCR related, she's she got, got it. it. Shout out to Cassie. She literally brought all of us together. And she made them trend. <laughs> her and Rock Sound. That, another mad shout out, and I didn't have that in my notes, but I definitely wanted to give them props for all of the MCR coverage that they did that night because they literally killed it. There was no other outlet that was on their level. They had branded MCR live streams of everything, social clips going up all day long. They were hitting the crowd, asking them questions. They were making it a moment for sure. Literally, like, like they changed their logo on their socials to like MCR rock sound or like, whatever. This is our event. This is like this, how we should treat this. That's how it should have been done. And they, they nailed it. And that was really cool to see. So, okay. I have to say Gerard, not the that he has to, but he has no energy. None. And I was disappointed in that. He looked incredibly tired. Not as tired as Fallout Boy does now, but I don't know if it's tired that Fallout Boy looks as much as it's just like despondent. Like Yeah. They look they like are, robots. They aren't there when they're performing. No. They're somewhere else. No, yeah. Go look up some live videos from the fucking mania tour. Ugh. I want to throw up just saying the word mania. We need to erase that shit from history. All of it. The whole last two years of Fall Out Boy. Just kick it to the fucking curb. Just let it go. Oh my god. But when the curtain dropped and they come out, that was enough. They didn't have to run out on stage and have pyro and all that shit. But like, if they did, I definitely oh see my god. Saying. I there was a there. I just I wanted a little more pep in the step, and I know we've talked about they're not kids anymore, but it would have been cool. To I see. do think he could do more. Like I think there's potential for more. Yeah. It may just be my like bias of Gerard Way is such a positive force in this genre and mm-hmm. in music and rock music in general that I want to like protect him (laughs) but i think that it could too have a little bit to do with like nerves and anxiety okay so that was really my only critique of the show i'm so happy that this band is back i'm so happy that all these people get to enjoy them again and all the people that didn't get to enjoy them you know like there's like we just talked about there's an entire I don't want to say generation, but we'll say era of kids that never got to experience MCR as an active band. And it's really cool that they get to live through that. So the next obvious question with any comeback, (laughs) will there be new music? Personally, I think it's the equal, like it could go either way. Like I would not be surprised if they release new music. I would not be surprised if they did not release new music. I Should they? Should they? For legacy's sake. Because we see so many bands come back. I mean, just let's look at Under Oath. They oh, well, tried to come back and reinvent themselves to be a bigger band than they were before. Yes. And this album, historically, even looking back on it now, not even, what, two years since its release, it feels like almost already a stain on their legacy. Yeah. I think I have a, a little more... It's weird because My Chemical Romance have 
constantly reinvented themselves mm-hmm. throughout their career. So it's not like there's anything that we like expect from a new album. Sure. Um, there's definitely things they could do that would be disappointing. Um, I guess I have the faith that they could pull it off. They could do a new album and it could be great. I agree with you. There's a lot of bands that have come back and released new music and I wish they wouldn't have. And mm-hmm. it's not even just like, oh, this is terrible. It's like, this was unnecessary. Unnecessary. Like, I don't listen to it. I'm still right. listening to the albums that I've been listening to right. for the past decade. So regardless of what it sounds like, would it be unnecessary for MCR to release new music? I would that feel like that? No, I don't. Like, give an example of a band that feels unnecessary. <laughs> Come on. Let me give you an example of <laughs> the one band that I continue to like their releases, which is Every Time I Die. And I have a lot of bands that I like that I consider my favorite bands. I'll say Alkaline Trio and like Good Charlotte. Those bands love them. We'll love them until the day I die. Your favorite bands. My favorite bands. We'll fight anyone who says anything bad about them. Mm-hmm. Their last releases just aren't my favorite releases of their sure. discography. And mm-hmm. do I think that I don't think they're bad. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think they're terrible or, like, God, I, I can't stand you now that you made this. But, yeah. like, I don't go back and listen to them. Right. Like, if I'm going to listen to Alkaline Trio, it's not going to be is sure. this thing cursed. There's a lot we could unpack about all that. But Trio never really went away. No. Well, Good Charlotte <laughs> did. <laughs> yeah, Trio didn't go away. <laughs> Excuse me, Tyler. <laughs> Shout out to Blake. The hell has Mad Skiba been doing? Shout out to Tom. <laughs> anyway, yes, they back. never officially sure. took a hiatus, mm-hmm. but they did have a pretty long break. Good Charlotte, yes, they, they went right. away. And those albums, there. personally for me, were incredibly unnecessary. And while it was fun to tease that Good Charlotte was coming back, that shit was fucking ass. So, so so I'm bad. I'm gonna wash your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to that little peep cover, though. That was that the was, best thing they've done since Good Morning Revival. That was an incredible uh, effort from them, yes. All we wanted in an album. That's it. Could if they out. could release like a full album of songs that sound like that, that would be dope. Be fun as hell. Yeah. That That's literally all they'd say, have to like, do. Even if, even if the music's not my favorite music, mm-hmm. Maybe it's some new fans are super into mm-hmm. it. I don't know. Um, but I'm glad they're back because I still get to go to good Charlotte shows right. and like lose right. my mind and have the time of my life. Me and my best friend would not be best friends if it weren't for good Charlotte. And like when mm-hmm. we, you know, we live far away from each other now. And when they play and we get together and we both go to a show and we like relive our 12 year old selves, like it's the time of my life. Right. So very thankful that they are back doing things to have that. Yes. Absolutely. Which is which is where the same thing you could say for like My Chemical Romance, where it's like, yeah, regardless of what they release, if they release an album and it was complete shit and I hated it, like I'd still be glad they're back. I couldn't agree more, but that doesn't mean I have strong feelings about it. That <laughs> <laughs> was like don't. Really <laughs> I don't want them. To, okay, but. last MCR topic. If they drop an album, 2020, 2021. 2022, mm-hmm. whenever. What does it do first week? This is where we always come back on note to scene. Yeah. We love first week numbers and fuck you if you don't. Let me let me give a rundown of their discography. Three Cheers did 38,000 first week and just absolutely catapulted the fuck out of that band. By 2006 with Black Parade, they did 240,000 first week, That's which is nuts. insane. Second biggest emo first week of all time. Very close second to Infinity on High by Fall Out Boy. 
Um, Danger Days took a drop, obviously. Um, Gerard has come out and said a couple times that, you know, the band was supposed to break up after Black Parade. Like, the album was just pure fun. It was obviously, like, way more of a rock record. I think it's certainly more beloved historically than it was when it came out. For sure. But they still, like, Sing was a solid hit. You know, I don't know exactly off the top of my head how high up it charted, but it was still relevant enough. It did 112,000 first week in, what year was that? 2010. It turns 10 this year. So over a decade later, what does MCR do first week? I want to believe they can still crack 100. Oh my God. Could you imagine? I think that there's there's been so much, like, build up mm-hmm. to them coming back and there's so many people that still care about them a lot and then even more people who love them as a teenager mm-hmm. that enough to like check it out mm-hmm. that I think they can do that. Yeah. I think a couple things that we've seen with comebacks like Under Oath specifically, they did the huge comeback tour. They did the, you know, it was that was a huge deal for the band to just be back. We didn't know if new music was necessarily happening. So kind of same concept, even though we can assume that MCR will tour just based off of what they're teasing and stuff like that. But imagine if they have an album in the canon, they announce a tour, they bundle the fuck out of that shit, and they're playing massive-ass venues. Yeah. I mean, if they bundled with a tour, if they tr- if they tried, if Warner tried and everyone was on the same page of trying to make sell as many units first week as possible, I have no doubt in my mind that they could do over 300,000. Yes. Which is insane to think if about. If they do a tour bundle and they do like a regular like do cassette Vinyl, right. CD, yes. download. Yes, all the download cards. You quadruple count the shit out of it. Because their fans will buy things. Yes, like they, they will buy everything. They're in it to everything. buy it. They love them. They're devoted. They want to see them succeed. Right. Like It's like, how did all-time load chart so high? Like Their fans wanted them to. And five seconds of summer. And five slots, yeah. <laughs> like, imagine the MC army at work. It blows my mind to think about what they could do if they actually tried and everyone was on the same page. Will that happen? I I think it's highly unlikely that they have an album in the canon and they're going to do any of that. And that's what concerns me because by the time that they, if they eventually do release new music, they will have already toured and everyone will have seen them. And that demand, while it's still MCR and bigger than any other band that we would ever talk about on this show or cover or has touched emo before, it's still inherently less. It doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, and I mean, they... I don't think that they have music ready to go. Like, I right. don't think, I don't either. I, I don't think either. that if they do, it's like they're going to tour, they're going to spend more time together, they're going to start messing around, and, yeah. like, that's how it happens organically. Right. They, but they have been rehearsing with each other, apparently, for, like, the past year. I mean, you have, like... Also, can we just mention <laughs> Joe Jonas for a second? <laughs> because... When I was home for Christmas, I obviously, we live in New York, I don't drive now, but uh-huh. I was driving, so I'm listening to the radio in the car mm-hmm. as I am traversing around Ohio, and how many fucking times did I hear the radio station tease that Frank Iero interview where he says, you're a Disney band, bro? <laughs> I gotta have that bitch memorized by now. Like, Listen... They played everyone for years. What was it, 2017? That's when they first started rehearsing? I think so, yeah. And fucking Jordan from Every Time I Die was in that room and he was told to leave. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite stories of the decade. Yeah. Hands down. Shout out to 
Jordan from Every Time I Die for keeping the secret for all of this time. Just, of course, Every Time I Die is somehow intertwined into they, the biggest stories. They are peripheral on literally everything that's everything. important. Everything. Just shout out to Every Time I Die in general. They're the biggest they've ever been right now. They're it's the only so- band that matters. I know we just spent, like, <laughs> however long talking about My Chemical Romance. Uh, I'm going to take over the podcast right now. This is now Every Time I Die fan cast. There's one band that matters in 2020. Drop that album. Furnace Fest, you cowards. Announce Every Time I Die. <laughs> oh, shit. Here we go. The call out. We could talk for hours about every time I die, but another time. I think if new mu- if new MCR music drops, I think it's gonna come in 2021. It'll be an album, and I think it will do. It all depends on how they bundle it and how they promo it and all that stuff. I I'm on the exact same page with you. I think if they try, because we know that they're not gonna go overboard, because everyone in the music industry is dumb as fuck. They're going to get around, they're going to end up somewhere around 100,000, which historically speaking, Under Oath, Disambiguation did 23 or 24,000 first week. The Comeback album did 21. Danger Days did 112. If they could get close to that same ballpark, that's a success. Yeah. And they literally just set the record for the most uh, money ever made at a show at the Shrine, yeah. which is Shout ridiculous. What, 1.5 million? I think it was 1.25 million. 1.25? Ridiculous. Fuck those $200 tickets. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Here we go again. Here we go. Nope. Okay. Moving on, because we have quite a few other comebacks to get to. Next up. Motion City Soundtrack, one of your favorite bands. Matt and I had quite a few conversations on the show <laughs> in its first I'm sure iteration. Really nice thing to say, I know we you were putting have kind hearts. So. <laughs> we, I don't remember what they were, but I'm almost certain we put bets on how long it would take for Motion City Soundtrack, Yellow Card, and Amberlynn to come back. Yeah, I think, I think we knew like the moment that Motion City Soundtrack announced that they were taking a break that they would come back at some point. They're um, just one of those bands. That... It's pretty. It's pretty. I think it's sooner than I had anticipated it would be. But I'm glad for it. Motion City are maybe like the first band that I felt like I discovered, mm-hmm. like really discovered, like when I was became the type of person that discovers music. Because before that, like, you know, you find stuff from your friends or like I loved Good Charlotte as mentioned. So like every right. band that toured with them, those are the bands like I went and bought their CDs or like if they talked about bands and in interviews. And they also hosted that show, All Things Rock, on MTV. So, like, I got Damn. all like, these bands from that. Shout Damn. out to Good Charlotte. My, my music go. education. <laughs> but one of the first bands that I kind of just stumbled upon uh, was Motion City Soundtrack. They mm-hmm. were, we, I was going to my very first Warp Tour in 2003. Um, oh, my goodness. Yes, I was, like. The true golden age. I was, like, 12 or 13. I got the comp, like, we were so stoked to go to Warp Tour. Like, this, me and my best friend Taylor... We were we got our tickets. We were like preparing hardcore for this, mm-hmm. and this was before there were any blogs or YouTube videos or whatever yeah. to tell you what to do. Yeah. So we basically had a compilation CD because Warp Tour back then when you bought tickets, they you got a comp CD Give with you it. A comp. So we got the comp CD. We listened to that shit nonstop, like leading up to it. Hell yeah! And one of the standouts was Motion City soundtrack. I'm pretty sure the song they had on it was Red Dress. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, an interesting Random. Twist. Again, this is 2003. They had one album. Right, like, right. This is interesting. pre-anything. True. So they are one of my first favorite bands that I discovered. Um, and 
going to the show now because they've been gone for a while and to be honest like i haven't listened to much motion city in the meantime of Mm -hmm. their absence and going back and hearing all those songs and i was like wow i was sad as shit even at 13 years old (laughs) every emo as an adult eventually (laughs) has that realization yes there's and and the audience so they're back they're touring and just a few days ago i went and saw their show at webster hall how was it they still got it man they still Got it. They still how's, got it. I gotta ask, how's Justin's hair? Uh, Justin's hair is like still so much. Like there's still? still so much. He's like kind of combing it back now a little oh, bit. Oh, interesting. Okay. But it's still big. It's just not sticking straight up. Right. Um, right. Okay. He actually read a poem that his daughter wrote him. It was super cute. Like I miss my dad poem. But one of the things okay. mentioned in it was obviously his hair. Of course. That's wholesome as hell. Okay, if you're 43 years old and you can still rock that hair. You got it, man. You've got it. You, you got, got life it. figured out. As far as they go with uh, new music, like if they didn't release new music, I would be 100% fine. If they do, like mm-hmm. I will also be fine. But yeah, like I'm not clamoring for it. Sure. They have written so many amazing, wonderful songs that can tide me over for the rest of my life. If we never get anything new, but... They sounded good, though? Yes, so stoked to see them playing shows again. Cool. So, Motion City, I won't dive too much, but a lot of, you know, Note to Scene was based on history and band legacy. I want to dive a little bit into Motion City, because they were such a weird band back in the day. Like Still are. So, still are, obviously. Look at his hair. But They were such a weird band for me to like, if uh, you know me. Right, exactly. Like, this was not... It was sad as shit, but it wasn't dark. Right. Which is where their weird trajectory kind of came in because Neon happened in 2007 and they eventually fell into that in a weird way for a split second. But they were almost like Neon Forefathers. Yeah. But the scene never called it Neon in 2003 or 2004, 2005. So they kind of, them and Hello Goodbye maybe, like were in this weird, nerdy pop punk like I see they're also like forefathers of sad pop punk too though yeah definitely definitely but it's just such an interesting kind of scene to lay because the pop punk bands back then like you can't lump Motion City in with like the Ataris or fucking Alistair or any of like those drive through like, bands it was like already pop punk it was you yeah, know like it's the like, matches fuck the matches <laughs> I, we're not talking about that band right okay. now <laughs> back to Motion City <laughs> Just a little context. Rabob loves the matches. No idea why they were ever involved with anything Warp Tour, Emo, The Scene. Fuck that band. Shout out to the matches. <laughs> the dog-eared page. Warp Tour 2008 compilation, Wake of the Sun. Only half good song they ever had. Anyways, they eventually had a neon moment, even if it kills me. 2007. The artwork, bright blue, pink. It's got the, you know, the girl and the dude kissing on the cover or whatever. Fell in love without you is just this, it's the first song on the record. Synth laden. That, it, that song is the definition of, eon, of neon. And they were already almost like, not a veteran band, but they had been around and they'd seen shit. Whereas like the bands that ultimately led neon all time low the main we the kings any of those type of bands were just getting started and they motion city it's hard to tell if they were latching onto the sound or actually just 
propelling it even further. I want to go with propelling it even further, <laughs> and here's why. Okay. When you think about Motion City, and you think about the songwriting and the lyrics, and I don't want to say it's smarter than most Neon, because Neon Agreed. is definitely clever in its own way. Don't give it too much credit. Like, a totally <laughs> different thing. Like, when yes. I think of Cobra Starship, like, it's funny, and, like, no <laughs> one is, like, trying to take that seriously. And if you just, like, take it for what it is, it's like, all right, that's funny. Mm -hmm. Like 303, the line, whatever it is, your boyfriend says he's got beef, I'm a vegetarian, and I fucking scared him. Like that's, Iconic. That's funny, right? Hell like, yeah. It's not it's, supposed to be taken seriously. And it's clever. Yeah. But Motion City is smart in a different way, where it's definitely deeper. It's like, there's songs. Existential. Right, and there's like structure to songs where it's like, if you listen, if you take every verse in reverse, it tells a different story. Like, damn. Yes. Okay. So it's it's when you think of me and like the nerdy weird shit that I like, like it makes sense. Where it's like I like to dig for things mm -hmm. that have clues and figure out right. what things mean. And I think that's the kind of band that Motion City were, and why people still love them so much now because mm -hmm. you form an attachment to a band when they like make you a part of it. Right. Basically. Exactly. I'll never forget. Fell in Love Without You wasn't the first time I ever heard Motion City. It was, I lived in the middle of nowhere. We didn't get cable until I was like 15 or 16. But you dial I think up it was, I had dial-up internet. But I think it was like VH1 at like 4 o'clock in the morning maybe. They'd play like this video countdown and you could like text in or whatever if you had a phone. And they could like put videos up closer to the top. I didn't have a phone so I couldn't text it. But one time Let's Get Fucked Up and Die came on. And I was just like, what is this band? Yeah. Because like I, I saw the, like the title and it's like the acronym and then they say it and I'm like, this band sounds like they should be heavy as fuck. That was my first thought. <laughs> and this is like nerdy, sad. And at that point I was full on, like all I listened to was Under Oath, Norma Jean and the Chariot. <laughs> and I was just learning like what the landscape was and everything. Yeah. And that song like blew my mind. I was like, this is like, something that maybe my mom would even listen to like sonically but like lyrically i don't think i can listen to this yes i mean <laughs> I, I was like 11 or whatever i definitely love a good juxtaposition of like happy sounding music yeah but weird dark lyrics right shout out to alkaline trio again damn you. you're just tying in all your favorites so real quick want to run down motion city's first week numbers commit which I had a couple conversations with friends this week, and they all think that I don't have the official number that commit this to memory close to gold. I don't think it actually is, because in 2015, it was still only at 285,000, which is weird because it felt like that album was everywhere and selling for years back in the day. So it's weird to see that it was that low just five years ago, and they, they've pretty much been gone or fairly inactive ever since then, so I don't think maybe it's gotten over 300,000. But Commit did 16,000 first week. It catapulted them to uh, Even If It Kills Me, which is their biggest first week at 33,000. And then that album and that first week, which everyone forgets, put Motion City Soundtrack on a major label. Columbia signed them. They released My Dinosaur Life. It does 27,000 first week, and they pretty much instantly get dropped. <laughs> Shout out to, this was around the time when I got my first subscription to AP, and it was like two or three inch issues into my subscription. And Scott, I remember Scott Heisel gave it five stars, and I was like, there is no fucking way that this is a five star album. Still don't really like that album at all. 
Um, I cannot find the numbers to go, which is when they got dropped. I think they re-signed to Epitaph at that point, but I cannot find what it is. I'm assuming based on what uh, Panic Station did, it dropped significantly. I'm gonna assume it did somewhere around 15,000 in that range, maybe a little lower, but their last record did 4,500 first week. Yeah. The fall off for this band was real. It just kind of makes sense. Yeah. They didn't want to make that music anymore. They, like every other emo band, grew up. Justin had that side project. I can't remember what it's called, but it was like this indie kind of like... And he, the past year, he was doing solo shows, right. touring, and he mm-hmm. was playing Motion City songs on those too. Like he just played them acoustic. But it, it felt, it definitely felt like Motion City's time at that point point when they decided to call it a day but they were also that band like we said it was inevitable for them to come back because it just like with so many emo bands they can't get over their past material like they almost inevitably allow it to define them because for whatever reason they can't catch a footing in anything else that they do and i know a lot of musicians from the scene that struggle with them mike haranica from the devil wears prada being one of them he has struggled for years about how his least favorite material that he's ever written defines his career. And I can't imagine, you know, what what's it like to to struggle with something like that. So props to them for coming back. And from what you said, it seems like they're happy. Yeah, it's like, you know, people that create anything, music included, like, that's just what they do. So if they keep making music, like, it won't be surprising at all. But like you said, it's like, they're, they're not, they're not going to come to shows and not play Let's Get Fucked Up and Die and not play, <laughs> like, The Future Freaks Me Out. And it doesn't seem like they hate that or anything. Like, they're right. still enjoying it, and Good. they realize that it means a lot to a lot of people. So, you know, those songs felt very energetic. Good for them. Shouts to Motion City. Okay, next band, Alexis on Fire. Honestly, didn't think that 2019 would be the year we get new music from them, but we did. And long story short, it's awful. I'm so scared to talk about this. (laughs) As funny as it is, I feel like I'm probably meaner than you and Matt just in general. As an outlook on life? (laughs) But publicly, I don't want to put anyone down. If I'm being honest, though, I just, these songs ain't it. These songs are ass. They are so bad. Okay, so Alexis on on fire. Right, agreed. Like, such an interesting post-hardcore band from the mid-2000s. Dallas Green, we'll get into a little bit later, but these songs... Greatest voice of the scene, perhaps. Whew, that's a hot take. Definitely a top five, I feel like. That's a hot take. I'll say I'll say top ten. There's a lot to unpack with You're right. all of that. I don't want to jump the gun. He's definitely <laughs> up there. He's fucking amazing. Better than Anthony Green. Just this two random post-hardcore vocalists versus each other. Dallas all the way. Okay. They dropped two songs in 2019. One called Familiar Drugs, one called Complicit. They dropped Familiar Drugs first. You and I were both incredibly excited about we this. Love Alexis on Fire. We're getting new music. They are coming back. Heard the song and it was just kind of like, eh, oh, okay. That was a song. That might have been your reaction, but I was <laughs> livid. Was not that I much. was livid. This song sounds like ass. I mean, they come right out of the gate with butt rock riffs and the worst production ever. It's and like I they don't... stuck a microphone underwater, shoved it in a potato, and was like, this sounds great. It's, we're a punk band it's, now. It's definitely like things don't match up. Like the vo- vocals and the music don't really like. mesh together that well I don't think for me 
Like, what are those screams? He's shouting into, like, a trash can. I like shitty vocals, too. Like, yeah, you, you can like attest. that punk shit. Like, I love yelling. <laughs> just, like, not good singing. Just nonsensical just, yelling. Just yelling, yeah. yeah. I'm into that. Like, I like music that mm-hmm. sounds like that. But there's, like, something about these where they just sound like, I don't even know, like, raw, but, like, overproduced at the same exactly. time. Exactly, yeah. It's like they tried to put a sheen over, like, crust punk bullshit. Yeah, it's just, it's weird. It was a weird choice. It fell a little flat for me. No hook. <laughs> No hook. No. Like, what is Dallas doing? Well, what are any of them we doing? Before we even started, I had to have Tyler play both the songs again because I hadn't <laughs> listened to them since they came out. And, like, when we were listening to Familiar Drugs, I thought it was the other one because oh, yeah. I couldn't... I literally had no recollection in my head of what it sounded like. We never went back to these songs. No, but when we were listening to it and like that chorus... Like, if the chorus had been the verse and like built into something, like with a hook and then there might have been a song there mm-hmm. but like it just like it builds it doesn't even I guess really build it just like it's so what like flat I don't know this it just, feels like a shitty local band this is an awful song it's just a very strange choice and I'm just curious like I don't know like what was the goal we can't be the only people that think this, right? You know, it's crazy. I went through the YouTube comments and like there's not a lot like the dislike bar is very small on all on both YouTube videos. People were like, "Oh my god, AOF is back." Like, shout out Super to Alexis. Just excited to have them back. There's like comments like liking the song and I'm just like, "Are you listening to the song?" <laughs> so it could just be us and like maybe people are into that sound. I mean, it's they're not streaming well. Like, I mean, I don't know how well an Alexis on Fire song is supposed to stream in 2019. (laughs) Not very well. But it's not like they have a million views. And it's not like when, you know, From First to Last dropped the two songs with Sunny, where everyone was like, oh my god. It's 2004 again. But on on the same page, Alexis on Fire were never that scene emo band. They were the cred post-hardcore. They're not that band. Respectable musicians that were once good at music. Now... good at music i think like these songs for me were for sure a flop i don't want to discredit them completely it's just like again it's weird choices that they made when they came back that i'm not sure what they were going for it'd be interesting to talk with them and find out and see like if they are going to release new music like what direction they're going in with that because i I would imagine, I don't know, I don't know. It's just all about the art, man. We just yeah. did what we were if feeling. If the case, like, you made this art and some people liked it and good for you, I'm glad, but I don't. Sorry. Oh, my God. Fuck off. Why don't you just write a good song if you're going to come back? Complicit. <laughs> if only it were that easy, Tyler. You know, like, fuck Listen, off and if write fucking, a good song if you If fucking Matt Good, Travis Richter, and Sonny Moore can write a good song 15 years after their peak... Two good songs. I don't think we have the time to talk about those two songs right now. So we're not discussing that comeback did not happen in 2019. I will say, I feel like they probably, like, to them, these were good songs. I can't To Alexis on fire. Yeah, I can't imagine they released them and were like, this is trash. But yeah, whatever. We'll throw, these will be our first new songs in however many years. Yeah, some, at least two people in the band thought these were good ideas. Yeah. They weren't. Anyways, complicit. This is like, familiar drugs is like a a pile of garbage. Like a a bag full of garbage in the kitchen. And it stinks. Like it just reeks. And then complicit, the second song they dropped, is the smell 
after you take that out. It lingers and you're like, someone spray something. Like, can we please like plug like an air freshener into the wall or some shit? analogy, but also it is because it's just like, it's like not as bad as the rotting garbage, but still not great. It's the essence of rotting garbage. Slightly better produc- production. It's still ass. I feel. I feel like it takes a lot for me to like. Normally, I hear a song and I'll just be like, "That's fine." Like, I, it's not unlistenable, but like, right. It's not like I'm not gonna listen to it again. Right. These ones, I'm just like in my head. I'm literally just like, "What?" Right. These shouldn't have happened. That, no. That's. I, was, I would like for them to do more songs. I think and give it another try. Listen, please, no more new music <laughs> if this is what we're gonna get. Could you imagine a, an album of this shit? That would be unlistenable. <laughs> <laughs> like unlistenable. I just. I'm happy for the years we've had together. And <laughs> honestly, love to go see them live. Like I, I missed their show when they were doing the I did too. song. Yeah. I think I was either at a festival, like out, out of state. It was festival season. Um, I saw them when they first came back. It was at uh, Riot Fest, Riot I believe. Fest, yeah. um, one of those years, and they sound great. They're amazing. Like they can still play. Amazing. Yeah. They can still play. That's what I'm saying. Like if I'm gonna use myself in as an example, I've definitely done some stuff that's not good. I've written some pieces, garbage. Like looking <laughs> back, like wish I hadn't done that. But should I stop writing because of it, Tyler? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I should have retired. You're too wholesome for note to scene. I'm just going to tell you that right now. This is now. my first and last episode, <laughs> guys. That is the only time that type of take will ever happen on the show. No. Rabob is ultimately correct, but still, it doesn't detract from how bad these fucking songs are. Eventually, we will, I hope to do uh, a bonus episode just unpacking what Alexis on Fire did during the scene because like they're such a unique band. Canada natives, it's very hard to find exactly what they sold here, but like they were a genuinely big band in Canada. And then Dallas's solo shit, like City in Color, it's amazing how big that was. Bigger than Alexis on Fire, which is insane. Like the scene used to be able to produce stars. Yeah. It feels like a different lifetime. It just, yeah, it's weird. It's an interesting conversation because, like, what do we expect them to do? Like, I don't know. I don't know what I want them to do that would be good because they can't just do what they did in, like, 2009. I mean, actually, yeah, they could. That would be fine now. That would be fine now. Yes, they could. There's a lot of bands that couldn't, but I feel like Alexis on Fire could, and yes. everyone would be happy. Like, they were, uh, uh, say what you will about, you know, the oversaturation of shitty post-hardcore screamo bands in the mid-2000s that we all love, but weren't actually that good at music. Alexis on Fire were good at music. Right. They knew how to play their instruments, they and they the could craft a melody, yes. like, of course. But I don't know what these songs were, and just like Mania, we're going to erase, erase these from history. We're going to give those a... I, I already did once and drop them back, so now I have to do it all over again. We had to talk about it. We couldn't just <laughs> ignore that Alexis on fire came back and it was just a flaming pile of garbage. Okay, moving on again. 2019 saw a lot of neon return, which we touched on before. This is where I turn about. into that SpongeBob <laughs> I have a head out meme. <laughs> Rabab had checked out on the scene by the time that Neon came around. I did. But I, I, because of my career and choices and job, I can offer a little bit of... Still very aware of that era (laughs) and what happened and how it didn't die as gracefully as some other things have. So in 2019, in some way or another, this could have literally just been 
a show or it could have been a new song. We're not going to unpack all of it because it's it would take forever. But these bands, and I'm sure a couple other that I'm missing, all come came back in some way in 2019. Hey Monday, Metro Station, A Rocket to the Moon, You, Me, and Everyone We Know, Go Radio, We Are the In Crowd. Did we need any of these bands to come back? No. Are you asking me the answer for me is unequivocally no, no one needed. No one needed any of these bands to come back. Is it still kind of fun? For some people, for sure. As, you know, as a neon kid who was just diving headfirst into the scene from 2007 to 2009 and soaking up literally everything that I could, these bands did have some sort of impact on me, you know, however small. Shout out to Cassidy Pope, voice winner. I think a lot of people already forget that because their country career just completely flopped after that. But left Ryan Dawson. You know how many times I've forgotten <laughs> that Cassidy Pope won The Voice? Like every Everyone time I forgot. hear it, it's like new information to me. Everyone forgot. Shout out to Hey Monday. They were about to be a really big band. Even just I, I go back to their Facebook page at least like once a year or every six months or whatever. They Says over, no. <laughs> like what? They had over five hundred. Telling that to people. You had they had over 500,000 likes on their page and they only had one album and like an EP like they were they were onto something and that second EP what I, I would love I to see called, the like, stats on how many other people just randomly go to their Facebook page <laughs> It's still like in the old Facebook page format right. like it's not <laughs> updated or anything Yeah, no, no one's touched As it far as I know maybe, maybe they I haven't checked since they announced like the show that they uh, Played but I think that was all Cassidy's doing on her socials. I don't know if they reactivated the Facebook page for it, but Shout out to Hey Monday. Probably not shout out to Metro Station. I mean, I don't know. Shake It was and will forever be a banger. They had their moment to shine. Here's the difference between, I think, Metro Station and some of the other neon bands. Like, we mentioned Cobra Starship and 303 earlier, where I think those bands were definitely, like, a little tongue-in-cheek about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas Metro Station, I don't know if they were in on the joke. Like, no, they took yeah. themselves 110% seriously. They thought that seriously. this was like a... Yeah, they yeah. thought this was like the real deal. But they had a bigger they had hit. A well, big hit, they yeah. didn't have a bigger hit. I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head how high Shake It charted versus some of 303's hits. But they had a hit bigger than most scene bands, bigger than most neon bands. For what it's worth, I just shout I, out Trace. Can I just throw up one thing about Metro Station? Of course. Again, I didn't live through this uh-huh. era. I mean, I did, obviously, I was right. alive, but I was not a part of this mm-hmm. as it was happening. And when I started working at Alternative Press, we went to Never Shop Never, did that tour with Metro Station. Yes. And so the, the crowd was like, I don't know... Me at age 26, maybe, or 27, no, I wasn't that old yet, but, you know, older, I was maybe, like, 10 years older than everyone there, like, yeah. children. Yeah. And Trey Cyrus walks out shirtless and says, where are my ladies at? And I was like, what? Oh, my God. I feel like everyone in the industry has an unfortunate story about Trey Cyrus. I mean, I don't know the guy at all, other than the... <laughs> meltdown he had in the Lowe's parking lot that the uh, plaza that was do. my story so lay set the scene really fast 2015 APMAs we let Metro Station present an award don't even remember what the award was he goes up there shirtless with Mason Mason stands like he's just seen a ghost no emotion whatsoever and Trace goes up takes the mic and he's like basically just like fuck all time low those dudes are shitty blah 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 and we were like what the hell is happening right now 
apparently, not a lot of people know this, he goes backstage because Alex and Jack were hosting that year. That was the first year they hosted. So they're backstage while he's saying this. They walk off. Apparently he tried to take a swing at Alex. I didn't see it. I was in a different room. I've not heard that story. But they all, but there were people that were running back and forth and they were like, yeah, he just tried to punch Alex. We had to kick him out. We had to kick him out of the Q arena. And so he goes out and whatever parking lot he's in, don't know where, he posts on Instagram, still shirtless, this video of him telling anyone... Lowe's or Home Depot. I should know this because this is the plaza I used to shop at in <laughs> Cleveland. This is a hardware store. He just posts a video saying that anyone who wants to fight him can come outside the venue and do it. <laughs> I mean, again, like, this is part of what made that era, like, kind of fun slash funny, I guess. But also, like, it's the same thing that made that era just, like, unbearable. As far as, I, uh, last comment, as far as traffic goes, that was the biggest story of the APMAs that year. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Who doesn't want to like... Not even close to anything else. I'm sure you had some crazy headline on it too that was oh, like, yeah. shirtless Tracer loses <laughs> it in Home Depot parking lot. Watch! Come on, Rabob. You don't think I would do that, do you? <laughs> Those are exactly the kind of headlines that I had to try and reel Tyler in from. The boy has an art for it. <laughs> there are many stories of me running out of class to uh, answer a phone call from Rabob saying, why did you run this? <laughs> <laughs> Just defeated. Why? Why Why did you do this today? Why uh, would you do this? I, had a lot of, I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> okay, but look at traffic. Okay, uh, wrapping up. 2020 comebacks. This obviously is not going to stop. There will be more comebacks. No, we've coming. already got Bright Eyes teasing. Tyler's going to talk about that, but worth mentioning. It's as much as I can't fucking stand Bright Eyes and Connor Oberst. They there's too much to unpack. We couldn't do they, it. We we couldn't do it in the next however many minutes. But I will totally accept any ignorance. You weren't born to... yet, but. <laughs> I, I will fully accept any ignorance to Bright research. Eyes because I have not done the appropriate research. I've Guys, listened to them. the songs. <laughs> I can't wait to get destroyed on Twitter by, you know, whatever fourth wave emo that canceled me earlier this year. <laughs> I forgot about that. I thought it was metalcore. No, it was fucking... Oh, it was If Touche Amore <laughs> was your favorite band, I got canceled on Twitter. That's Fuck that band. Anyways, as far as I know so far, Ecstatic Lullaby and From Autumn to Ashes are both teasing a return, which I loved both of those bands. Will they matter? No. I loved Ecstatic Lullaby, especially their last record. They went on a tour in 2008 or 2009, I can't remember, with um, Maylene and the Sons of Disaster headlined. I think they were direct support, and then there was Confide and Attack Attack and Showbread maybe, was all maybe, on that tour. Maybe Attack Attack will come back in 2020. Okay, this is the next conversation and the last one for this episode. <laughs> the, the, the elephants in the room, who is left to reunite? Who is left to come back? We have Moby Dick. We have we My Chemical Romance. Whale, yeah. But did we? We have to address the elephant, which is brand new. <laughs> I will never forgive you for <laughs> making me talk about brand new right now. <laughs> we're just doing our due diligence. We, If we're not going to talk about a brand new comeback, yeah. who is? Well, does anyone need to is the other question. Damn, okay. Um, Coming from two diehard brand die new fans. Yes. I don't know if the world's ready for brand new to come back in 2020. Um, will they ever be? Will they ever be? I do think at some point they will be. 
this is a rough call. It's hard. It's hard because you don't want, you obviously want to acknowledge everything that happened, but. I also am a very realistic, pragmatic, logical person, and I know how people are, but the I don't. The demand want, is. Thick. I don't want to say the wrong thing. Right, exactly. So this is not a conversation of do brand new like deserve to come back are they worthy? Right, this right, is a right, right. This of, isn't a moral conversation. Yeah. This is just will they ever? Will they ever? I think that they will. At some I point. think that they will too. At some point, they will not stay eighteen forever. I don't know if they'll. Yeah, well, I don't know if they'll <laughs> release new music or I could see that never happening. But I do think at some point, like you said, there's still demand. There's the. Uh, the Twitter account, the brand new rock fans. Uh, still there. Still Shout there. out to that guy back in the day. <laughs> oh my posting. gosh. Not frequently, but Not frequently. Still and still like very aware of the situation. And I remember when everything happened and it all came out, that account handled it incredibly well. We yeah. don't know how to respond to this, you know, type yeah. thing. Like we want to acknowledge victims and you know, not be ignorant in any way to any situation. But, you know, that ban was a lot of people's lives and it was really difficult to deal with. Yeah, and I mean, as fans, I don't know that it's our job to know how to handle it or deal with it or Mm. figure it out. Like, Good take. The most we can do is just talk about it as much as we can. It's hard to talk about because people don't want to. And, like, you're, again, like I just said, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing and for everybody to be like, you support Jesse Lacey, I right. hope you die. Like, I don't want right. that to happen. It's but awful. also that band's music, I can't erase how much it means to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I for a while, didn't listen to it at all. Um, Same. And now I do more, mm-hmm. especially, like, usually when I'm traveling and flying because I have it all downloaded on mm-hmm. my Spotify. So that's usually what I'm listening to brand new, which is terrible because I'm, like, up in the air. Like, <laughs> Having an existential crisis. <laughs> Good. Right. <laughs> Um, Perfect time. That was the elephant. The other elephant in the room, Tom and Blink. You know what I want. Well, I know what you want, which is Alkaline Trio. So so I want Matt to be out of Blink. (laughs) Not that sounds terrible. I want Matt out of Blink. I would prefer. But you do. I would prefer if Matthew T. Skiba was in Alkaline Trio. They announced the tour in 2020. Super stoked. If that means Tom going back to Blink cool. I'm not a huge Blink fan, so like, I don't want to sit here and pretend like I care about Tom being in Blink-182. Same. I did not grow up as a Blink-182, as like a diehard Blink-182 fan. They were obviously important and not even necessarily necessarily peripheral to me. I love so many of those songs and they meant more than most bands that came from that world to so many people. Um, Interesting story that popped up this past week apparently Tom sold his rights to the Blink songs. That's what you were saying. Which which I don't know all the specifics. I will totally botch it if I try to get into it. But apparently this means that he's not making any more money from those songs. Like, he sold the rights to them. Right. So, so he's not getting royalties. Right, he exactly. Just sold them. Right. To some sort of publishing company. I can't I can't remember what the name was. Uh, I haven't been able to do a lot of reading on it, but that is very interesting. And I don't know if Tom is hurting for money. I don't know why you would do that. They would obviously be able to work out some sort of contract where he would make a shit ton of money if they did a comeback tour, but I don't know what that would look like if Blink ever did more music with Tom. Well, yeah, that's true. Like, that makes the reuniting seem less likely. Less likely. Sure. Yeah. And that was the first sign where it's it's just always been, like, that's something that I have always thought was inevitable. Yeah. That eventually 
Blink. Blink did way better out of the gates than anyone thought they would with Matt. California yes. was a massive success. This last album is complete ass and performed much less than California has, but still ultimately justified doing it with Matt yeah. because of how it has performed so far, even if it is way less than California. But ultimately, I always thought that Tom would go back to Blink. There's still a big part of me that thinks we'll eventually get that reunion, but now it's really weird because there's legal stuff involved. Yeah, I, oh, that's what I was gonna say is I think that for me, I, again, I'm not a huge Blink fan. I'm I'm like a, a mid-level Blink-182 right. fan. They were big when I was like, a tween mm-hmm. and so I was like hanging up pictures of Travis Barker from like J14 or Tiger Beat or whatever the hell like little kids shouts did. digging my, up some culture in, in my off in my in my office in my bedroom yeah because like it, that was my very early beginnings of like this is me forming my personal taste right Travis Barker was obviously the beat right so I did like grow up and le- like listening to the albums and liking them but they were never one of my top yeah. bands and I feel like I like them about the same with Tom and Matt. Like, wow. I don't really, like, have very deep opinions on it. Sure. They're, they're good. They're fun to listen yeah. to, but... I mean, when it comes to comeback talk and, and success off of them, no one ever thought Blink would do what they did with that first album without Tom. No. Like, nobody. crazy. I mean, there was a high demand for it, but when they announced, like, Matt from Alkaline Trio, and you talk about, like, mainstream success with that all the props to Alkaline and Matt and all he's ever done for music, but, you know, you don't think of, like, hit records or, you for know, Alpha, commercial yeah. success. No, they're very much like a cult band, like you said, where, I mean, I showed you the other day, I still have my fan club card from the Blood Pact. Uh, right. But they have those types of fans that are a ride or die, they'll be with them forever, they can have a career for as long as they want to. Mm-hmm. Because people are just very, you know, if you're into Alkaline True, you're into Alkaline True. Like, you have a heart and skull tattoo, you're, like, ride or die. Okay, wrapping up. So this is the first episode back. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone who's coming back who ever cared about this thing that, you know, Matt and I built. I'm so excited. We have a website now, and we have a news cycle and editorial pieces and we're going to have an actual voice and way more of a presence on the internet in 2020. We want you guys to tell us what you want from us, too. Exactly. Like, what, please, write in, note to scene at gmail.com. Like everyone used to, just flood that shit. We follow us. We have an Instagram now, which we didn't have before. <laughs> if you like viral scene and emo memes, go follow that shit. Go like us on Facebook. Share something so I can sleep at night. Uh, like I said before, next week's episode, we're going to have a guest, Brian Storm from Rockfeed. Some of you might know him. He's going to be on the show a lot. Super good friend of mine. And he genuinely loves rock music and understands success and longevity in the land landscape of everything right now so we're going to talk about the scene's 10 current biggest bands and rank them from 10th to first and it has changed a lot since the last time we did this a lot so you definitely want to tune in for that but thank you to matt rabob for doing this with me and i cannot wait for the rest of the year and all the shit that we have to come 